Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear John Krantz. I didn't know what cuticles were. I thought cuticle was another word for testicle. <laughs> this whole time, she's preparing, you know, and I'm alone in my head just shitting myself, thinking, this is not an acceptable birthday activity. That and more. But before that, ads. Folks, one of my all-time favorite risk stories is the one called Outside the Comfort Zone by Chris Ryan. It's when he's in the Mayan ruins, he's on acid, he gets bitten by a scorpion. Well, Chris has his own podcast called Tangentially Speaking, and I was on a recent episode of it. Chris has never stopped adventuring. In fact, he just told me he's roaming the plains of the Serengeti as I'm recording this. And Chris knows so many fascinating people that he talks to on Tangentially Speaking. You can hear him in conversation with a bank robber, a sex worker, an Italian prince, philosophers, experts in psychedelics. Chris wrote the absolutely fascinating and groundbreaking New York Times bestseller, Sex at Dawn, about the whole history of non-monogamy in our species. He talks about that and so much more, maintaining psychological health in a troubled world. At the end of the day, great conversation has no bounds. So go ahead, follow Tangentially Speaking on the Substack iOS app, Chris Ryan, dot substack dot com or wherever you listen to your podcast and tell chris kevin sent you is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer ixl learning is an online learning program for kids it covers math language arts science and social studies ixl is designed this program will improve your kids grades studies done in almost every state in the country the kids who had ixl are consistently doing better powered by advanced algorithms ixl gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk. 
the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is the old theme to At The Movies, the show that Siskel and Ebert used to have on in the 80s. The very first comedy sketch on video that I ever made was with a couple of people who are still very dear friends of mine. Gosh, that must have been... 1982, 1983, somewhere in there. A little parody of at the movies that my friends and I did in like the seventh grade. That show made a huge impression on me, especially Roger Ebert's humanity, the way that he was always most interested in movies about people who were different, made a big impression on me as a kid. And then just yesterday, I was at this party and I randomly met this fella who said that when he was about 20 years old, somewhere in there, he was randomly hired to assist Roger Ebert during some like week long film festival somewhere. So one day he was driving Ebert back to his hotel room and the subject came up that he, the young guy, had never seen Citizen Kane. And Ebert lost his mind. He was like, you are coming back to my hotel room. I know that sounds a little creepy, but it wasn't. He ordered a a TV and a VCR sent up to the room. The guy said that they spent about four hours watching Citizen Kane because every 15 minutes or so, Ebert would pause the movie and teach him about all the things to learn about that movie. Maybe we can have him on sometime to tell that story or another. This guy is a novelist now, and he really credits that moment as being a watershed moment in his growth. And that's what this episode is about. These are two stories today about when people saw movies when they were very young and what a profound effect they had on them. That's my fa- one of my favorite things to talk about is the works of art when I was a kid that blew my mind and helped me see things in a different way. I have my very own Citizen Kane story, and I don't think I've ever shared it on the show before. Put that on the to-do list, too. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Jude Trader Wolf, one of our favorites. Oh, my God. Jude has been telling stories with us from the very beginning. Her passion for music, storytelling, and therapy have always been inspiring to me. You can look Jude up at MostlyTrueThings.com. That's the name of Jude's storytelling show, and the next one will be in September in Port Jefferson, New Jersey. But first, John Kranz, first-time storyteller on Risk. This was so much fun and so unusual. What we did was we decided to experiment yet again and had John tell this story to us online, but invited, I don't know, maybe six or seven Risk fans to be listening in and recorded their reactions as well. So there's an audience. They're just all in separate rooms. (laughs) So let's get to it. This is John Krantz now with a story we call, Do You Want Me to Shave Your Baby? Not sure if anybody's done this before, but I failed sixth grade three times. (laughs) 
I had undiagnosed ADHD and managed to daydream my way out of the D.C. public school system. Keep in mind, this is the late 70s, early 80s, and back then no one had ADHD and no one had autism spectrum disorder. Just to my teachers, I was either a problem or stupid. But a typical day for me would include, you know, somehow losing my lunch while I'm eating it or... (laughs) Losing something I was working on in class, even though I hadn't left my seat. Uh, I'd be there sitting transfixed by the teacher's abilities, looking like I'm super interested. But when in reality, I'm just spacing out on the uh, mimeograph ink smell and pencil (laughs) shavings. But inevitably, she would stop and ask me a question. She'd be like, does that make sense to you, Jonathan? And I'd be like, uh... What was, what did you say? Even now as an adult, I can't even leave my house without doing like a three-part pat down, you know, one glasses, tap my face, keys, check my pocket, phone, check my pants. Okay, now I may leave. I'm basically giving myself a uh, ADHD stop and frisk. (laughs) Anyway, by the fall of 1981, I was 12 years old and now the public school system completely And uh, instead, all I was doing now was boarding a short bus to my new special ed private school to begin sixth grade for the fourth time. I was nervous, but also optimistic. I mean, maybe this time the teachers won't think I'm a problem or stupid, or maybe the other kids won't tease me for being the one who laughs too loud, or the weird one who memorized two Marx Brothers movies and this growing collection of R. Crumb books, you know. One thing was certain, I... This time, I wouldn't be making that walk of shame into the sixth grade homeroom on the first day of school, my voice cracking like Shaggy on a Scooby-Doo cartoon. She'd be like, like, hey, Mrs. Finkbinder, here we go again. (laughs) But on that first day, I'm standing in the hallway, and the short kid comes up to me. I'm standing by my locker or whatever. He's got blonde hair, and he comes up to me just randomly, and he's like, "Uh, hey, uh, when I was five, I went to my grandpa's funeral. And when we walked up to the casket, I stuck my fingers in his mouth, man. (laughs) What the fuck? Then he just hands me a birthday invitation, wiggles his fingers, and runs off down the hallway. I'm like, who is this guy? Even though this kid baffled me, I knew he was weird enough that nothing would keep me away from this birthday party all day. (laughs) So that next weekend, my parents dropped me off at his huge house. And this kid, his name's Mark, turns out, meets me at the door, and he takes me inside. I quickly find out he has everything an 11-year-old kid could want. I mean, this is 1981, okay? He has an Intellivision, which is a vastly superior to the stick-figure Atari, okay? He has two computers, an original unvented Apple II made of plastic, and an Apple I, which is, you know, the one encased in real wood that uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak actually built in their garage. Wow. Okay. Yeah, the one that's in the Smithsonian, okay? Today, those two machines would probably fetch over a million dollars easily. Anyway, by the time we leave to go somewhere, we're going to, there are nine of us at this party, and his mom drives a Land Rover at seat six on a good day, and so we all just pile in there, circus clown style, you know, and drive off, <laughs> squeeze tight in there, you know. You know, after a little while, Mark's mom speaks up, and she's like, 
Everybody excited for their spa day? <laughs> a little too loudly, I'm like, what's a spa day? <laughs> and then it gets quiet in the car. Like, really quiet. Like, weird quiet. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, spa day is just mani-pedis and haircuts and a movie. Mm. And I, all of us, I'm sure, are thinking, spa day for an 11-year-old's <laughs> birthday party? <laughs> In the back of my head, I was like, I was really starting to understand why Mark likes stuffing his fingers into his grandpa's mouth. I mean, <laughs> I mean what the hell? But look, this kid's family is clearly loaded. So I figure, you know, they've got to be taking us somewhere really nice, you know. Then Mark's mom turns a corner and we pull into basically the opposite of that. A bunch of shitty businesses lined up in a dilapidated shopping center. <laughs> Like a bottom-tier karate studio run by <laughs> asylum-seeking Soviets. It's like a third-rate AIDS quilt of entrepreneurship. It's just <laughs> lame. So anyway, she parks the car, and the first place we go is the nail salon. And a very nice lady sits us all down and got her hands and feet soaking in what I can only describe as warm dish soap. And, <laughs> and this lady is going to be taking care of me as she's sitting there reading the sports pages. She's got a well-worn pack of Pall Mall Super Slims on the table. You know, it's like the napalm of cigarette brands. Her voice is so deeply precancerous. Her voice sounds like a crime scene. She's like, ready for me to cut your cuticles, cutie? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I have to pause and admit something here. Um, at this point in my life, I could only read at a fourth grade level. And uh, let's face it, I didn't know what cuticles were. I thought cuticle was another word for testicle. <laughs> I knew what they were. So... <laughs> This whole time, she's preparing, you know, and I'm alone in my head, just shitting myself, thinking, who is this woman? I mean, this is not an acceptable birthday activity. And she eventually you know, performs the delicate surgery on my tiny 12-year-old hands with all the subtlety of a Michael Bay movie. By the time we leave, all nine of us are basically walking out with all ten fingers mummified in band-aids. <laughs> Our next stop, the barbershop. Walk in. The first thing you notice is that it's the kind of place that's been in business so long that no matter how much they clean, the place still looks dirty. Wall-to-wall mm -hmm. -wall sports pennants and like, tons of Navy memorabilia. Mm -hmm. It's just so manly. And uh, it turns out that the uh, owner is a retired Navy Master Chief and he greets us like Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island. He's like, welcome, my friends. My name is Carlos, but you can call me Frankie. Turns out Frankie is going to be my barber. And little did we know, the guy only cuts hair using a pair of clippers and a straight razor. And he sits me down facing the mirror and he turns to Mark's mom and he asks, do you want me to shave your baby? <laughs> and I'm like, what? No. No, I do not want you shaving this baby. I mean, what a strange way of asking someone if they could shave their kid's neck. And Mark's mom turns to him without missing a beat. She's like, oh, he's not mine. <laughs> the one telling stories about his dead grandpa. That's my baby. <laughs> 
And then she looks me straight in the eye and she just starts laughing in my face. <laughs> now I'm just sitting there embarrassed. Frankie catches my eye in the mirror and he looks at me with the kind eyes and he says, you want to know what happened to my finger? <laughs> and before I could respond, he uh, makes this whooshing sound and he reveals two very muscular hands. And uh, each finger is tattooed with a letter of the alphabet on it, right? And one of his hands is missing a finger. So it just spells out H-A-R-D, stump finger, O-C-K. And I'm like, what is happening? Hard Ock? I mean, is he trying to be intimidating? Because all this is doing is raising more questions. I mean, hard sock, hard rock, hard cock. Oh, oh. It, it dawns upon me. And, uh, and Mark calls out from the back, hey, you stick your fingers in your dead grandpa's mouth too? And everybody starts cracking <laughs> And uh, we're laughing. He gets pissed. And so he just rushes through my haircut. And, uh, and I walk out of there looking like what would happen if like, Kylo Ren tried to cut my hair during one of his hissy fits on Starkiller Base. You know, it's just not a good look. So anyway, finally we leave. And Mark's mom is like, who's ready to see one of the biggest movies of the year? Now, this is 1981. All right. It was an exceptional year for movies. And in my head, I was just super excited. I could barely contain myself. I was like, please let it be American Werewolf in London. Please let it be American Werewolf in London. And I realized, nope, Mark's weird, but yet that's just scary. Um, maybe Time Bandits? Raiders of the Lost Ark? Please let it be Raiders. Please let it be Raiders. And she hands each of us a ticket. And we do see one of the biggest movies of that year, but it wasn't American Werewolf in London, Time Bandits, or Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, she hands each of us a ticket to see Mommy Dearest. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy Dearest. For a birthday party. Nice. Mommy Dearest. <laughs> so Mark was really excited about going to this movie with his mom. And um, I never really quite understood why that was. It was just too much for my little brain. But we all sit in this movie theater for two hours sucking our sore fingers because the popcorn was too salty. <laughs> you know, basically we were trying to do anything to distract ourselves from watching this, you know, mother and daughter pummel each other over wire hangers. What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? I mean, you can't walk out of a movie like that and still be like, Happy birthday! <laughs> and after we finished the movie, no gifts were open. We didn't have any birthday cake. Mark's mom just had us quietly piled back into her Land Rover with our bloody cuticles and bad haircuts and what I think was probably the beginning of my PTSD. And, and she drove us home. I still consider Mark's birthday party as my Vietnam. Because <laughs> I had no business being there. So much so that now anytime I see a nail clipper, I get flashbacks of Ursula the Sea Witch skinning my cuticles. I mean, the following Monday, most of the kids that were at that party also rode the short bus with me. 
And it turns out they all thought the same thing. That was the weirdest party they had ever been to. <laughs> we all became united in understanding this weird boy and this one strange birthday party that we'll never forget, or at least I won't. And uh, I made friends quickly because of it. And for the first time, and for the next three years that I spent with these uh, spoiled, rich dumbasses, <laughs> not one of them thought I was the weird one. Compared to Mark and his birthday party, I was normal. <laughs> Finally. And now, before the next show starts, let's enjoy an intermission. You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Thirst-quenching popcorn. Fresh, crunchy, soft drinks. A complete assortment of delicious, tasty, tempting cigarettes. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now. And now it's time for some... Ads! Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Well, Bert, this is going to be such a great movie. You're just going to love this movie. It's, it's got everything, Bert. It, yeah. It's got love and it's got surprise and yeah. it's got it's got fear. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and besides all of that, it's it's funny too, Bert. Excuse me. Yeah, you've told me that a hundred times. Arnold Schwarzenegger. The movie's starting now, Bert. You've seen him pumping iron as Conan the Barbarian. Arnold Schwarzenegger, mighty, magnificent, and muscular as never before. Arnold Schwarzenegger in his most unexpected adventure. Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming your way on a comet from out of the sky. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry, I really didn't mean to spill my popcorn all over you, Bert. I'm sorry, Bert. It was buttered, too. Oh, yes, well, it's better that way, Bert. Feature presentation. A 
fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, no? You might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof, trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? Well, we stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! It's a Saturday night in the summer between my junior and my senior year of high school and with my three best friends doing the one thing there is to do in my hometown in this little town in Wisconsin that has more gun shops than grocery stores, more bars than churches, and it has so many churches, every flavor. Of, it's, a, it's the Cold Stone Creamery of Christianity, this town. And the one fun thing there is to do for us teenagers, now that we can drive, is to ride from one end of town to the other end of town drinking Boone's Farm apple wine and talking about what we're going to do after graduation to get out of this town. And my friends have big plans, you know, Boston, Keystone, Colorado, and I have no vision anymore for what I want to do once I graduate from high school. I used to want to join the Peace Corps. I, I want to study music. I stopped talking about that stuff because when I was 13 years old, my parents became involved in a very, very conservative sect of Catholicism called the Traditionalist Movement. And it's kind of like make Catholicism great again. Everything the old ways, you know, the Latin mass, the rules for women, the old traditional roles, sacrifice for women. And there are really only two paths for me within this world that my parents would approve of. And one is to marry somebody within this movement and breed, or become a nun within this movement and lead, a breeder or a leader in this movement. And I'm not doing either one of those things, and I'm done fighting with them. There's just nothing left to fight about. And so when my friends talk about it, I just kind of shut down, and I really don't describe to them. On Sundays, they ditch all the wonderful choices of churches in town, and on Sundays, my sisters and I would have to wear dresses that would go all the way up to our chin, cover our arms, and go to the ground and go to some farmer's basement where 50 or 60 people from around the state would gather and hear one of these rogue priests tell us the secret knowledge that only he knew about really how things really work in the world. And there were two abiding principles of this movement. One is that women have to be covered and controlled because they are the cause of sin, and sin is the cause of war, in a blaze of logic, I know. Uh, and, <laughs> and the other is that if there's all the things that are wrong with the world, if the mail is late, if somebody breaks up with you, if your steak is undercooked, somehow it's the fault of the Jews. Everything, everything is the fault of the Jews. And it's such a controlled way of thinking that they actually have a ritual that happens if you doubt. I've been labeled in the family as a doubter, 
And there's a ritual, it's called the Acts of Mercy in the old time Catholicism. And one of the Acts of Mercy, the first one is counsel the doubter. And so the priest, I sometimes have to have meetings with him because of my doubt, and I would have to memorize prayers that he would assign. And it's weird, his obsession with female sexuality, because the first line of one of these prayers is, Father, I come before you. Dear Father, touch me with your healing hand. So I don't know, maybe he couldn't quite handle that, but he's the one who assigned the prayer. (laughs) And so I feel this kind of hopelessness about if I leave, I'm not welcome to come back home. And if I stay, my soul dies. Well, on this summer night, my friends and I are driving down the street and we see something new on Main Street, a movie theater. It's pretty cool because we have to drive at least half an hour to go to a movie, which is a big plan. Borrow your parents' car, drive a long way, go to the movie. I can now walk to go to the movie by myself, which is something I've never done before. And I don't care what the movie is, that's what I'm doing. There's something to do in town. So I walk to the movie theater and I don't know anything about the film. I just want to sit in the dark and find out something new. We don't travel. We're poor. We don't go anywhere. And movies are a way of the world coming to us. You know, movies are on television at least are about finding out about people you might not otherwise meet, worlds you might not otherwise see. So I'm very excited to be at the movies by myself. I'm sitting in the dark. And the name of this film is Fiddler on the Roof. And Fiddler on the Roof, if you're not familiar with this movie, is about a Russian Jewish farmer who is living in a village in Russia, obviously, and uh, who's trying to marry off his five daughters. And the movie begins, and the music starts, and then this song emanates through the theater. Tradition! Tradition! And I think, what is happening? This word that's ruining my life! Tradition! But I have to say, I love this music, and I love this character of Tevya, the main character, who is a beautiful human being and has the same struggle that my dad has. Can I deny my own daughter? His daughters want to marry who they want to marry. They don't want to have arranged marriages. They come to him and say, will you please bend the rules? The whole movie is about him having to deal with change. If I try and bend that far, I'll break. And... I fall in love with Tevia. I fall in love with the whole story. I'm crazy in love with the music. I go back the next night. I watch the whole thing again. That word, tradition. I'm obsessed with this story because these people are exactly like me and they're exactly like my family. They're just from another time and from a different religion. So I, after seeing it about five times, I drive to Oshkosh. <laughs> Everybody knows Oshkosh. It's 40 minutes from my hometown, and I buy the album, and I think, I'm going to blow the roof off of my parents' house by playing this record in that house, and we are going to have it out. We're going to talk about this, finally, because I get it now. We're the same. We're going to talk about it. So I get this record, and I put it on the record player, and I play this music, 
and nothing happens. Nobody says anything. There's nothing. There's no, the lightning doesn't strike my house. No one comments upon it. There's no disruption of our nightly rosary. There's just this music that's now part of My Fair Lady. We play Fiddler on the Roof and that's all there is to it. And the fact that nothing big happens is probably the most important part of that experience for me. It begins to chip away at the power my parents have or this whole movement has on my thinking and on what I, how I consider them and what I consider their control over me. And one day I'm walking past the barn and I hear my dad who's milking the cows just like Tevya and he's singing, tradition, <laughs> tradition. And I think my dad is Tevya. He I don't think my parents have thought any of this through. I'm not sure they know anything about Jewish people. I don't think they fear and hate the Jews. I think they fear and hate change. And I've seen that movie so many times, and I know the ending, and it breaks my heart every time because they have to leave. They're forced out of their village and they just have to leave, and they've done nothing wrong. And I studied pogroms for the first time after seeing this movie in the library, and I now know what this is, that people were driven out and had to just go somewhere and figure it out after they go. They had to leave. And it always would hurt me so much that they had no choice and they had to go. And I thought, well, if these people pack up everything, they've done nothing wrong, they're persecuted, they have to go, and they can make a new life somewhere. Well, so can I, and I'll figure it out. After I get wherever I'm going, I'll figure out how to reconnect with my parents. And I do. I go and I study music, and, and they eventually bend the rules themselves. <laughs> and they, they sort of come around. I mean, we never agree on any of these things for the rest of my parents' life, but we have a relationship. It's not a complete cutoff. And, now I still get sometimes this feeling like everything is crazy and I don't know what to think. And if it really overwhelms me, I go to the movies and I like to sit in the dark and I say, tell me something I don't know. Thank you. But they turned her into a princess 
this week's episode folks this is the kinks behind me now i always find this song so moving and we just heard from jude trader wolf who you can find at mostly true things.com and fiddler on the roof also had a big effect on me as a kid it, there's a story called two henry's that you can find on amazon it's only like two bucks and you can have it on your kindle and or as the hour-long audio of me telling this story of my best friend in grade school and one of the things we bonded over most was well on the one hand siskel and ebert at the movies and another one was fiddler on the roof my friend had seen that movie and we both got the record and started bonding over that. And then one of our audio editors, John LaSala, was telling us about how he too, how Fiddler on the Roof meant a lot to him as a kid. So when I was in fifth grade, I started taking violin lessons, despite showing no musical aptitude before then. At the same time, my mom was doing a community theater production of Fiddler on the Roof, and I got dragged along to many of those rehearsals. I heard a lot of that music over and over again. And at some point, I sat down and figured out how to play the Fiddler tune by ear on my little violin. And then I went in the next day to my violin teacher, who was Mr. D'Angelo, who had a Darth Vader belt buckle I will never forget because that's awesome. And I played it for him and he was super impressed. And that was like the first indication that, you know, maybe I had some real musical ability. I would eventually go on to become a musician and a composer for Risk and many other things. So Fiddler on the Roof music and that tune in particular has a special place in my heart. And frankly, so does Jude Trader Wolf. It's so cool to hear. I am so thankful to John and our other three audio editors, Hope Brush, Taj Easton, and Jeff Barr, uh, just all the amazing, <laughs> crazy work they've been doing on a lot of these interstitials and, and radio story editing. Folks, the next Risk live show is in Los Angeles on August 16th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. It will be live streamed as well. We're doing it at the Hotel Cafe. We've been having wonderful shows there. David Crabb hosts the show out there. <laughs> I, I think David's a better host than I am. He's always wonderful and works so well with the storytellers as well. B. Van Slee, Margarita Franco, Ron Hart, and Linda Bailey Walsh will be telling stories there. So get to risk-show.com slash tour to find out when the next Risk Live shows are happening. Like that one on August 16th. 
Folks, don't forget that our workshops, our corporate workshops that we offer over at our school at thestorystudio.org, oh my gosh, they just get so many raves. We've done workshops for Google, Pfizer, American Express, Citibank, USA Today, the list just goes on and on for team building and for developing more compelling, dynamic, moving communication skills, go to thestorystudio.org and look up our corporate workshops because we could custom tailor one for your team and make a big, big difference in everything you do. Everything else you need to know about us you can find at risk-show.com. Folks... Today's the day. Take a shit. I swear I meant to say, take a risk. You can see all the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard. Some that you recognize, some that you hardly even heard of. People who worked and suffered and struggled for Cellulite heroes never feel any pain. And cellulite heroes never really die. Next week. On risk. I discovered that this character drank bourbon. And I, at that point in my life, had never tasted bourbon. You fucking liar! We'd open up the fridge, pull a hot dog right out of the package, and eat it like that. Does anybody still do that? But before that, let me see if you guys can hear what's going on around about my crotch right now.